0: not just blockbuster miracles that somebody who was believing God received, but also blockbuster truth and blockbuster lessons that God taught to people and in teaching them, he taught us. Now what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna tie every one of these messages in to a reality TV show title. So that you'll remember these messages. So today, Fear Factor. Now, let me just go through them real quickly. Next time, Survivor. After that, Lost. After that, The Apprentice. Then, Extreme Makeover. Yeah. <laughs> not to be bested by the ultimate fighter. And then believe it or not, top chef. I know what you're thinking, how in the world can you turn that into a message? You're gonna have to come find out. Top chef. And then last but not least, the biggest loser. We're gonna deal with those in the next eight weeks. And every one of them, a blockbuster story, a blockbuster message for you and for me, and so let's pray today because I want to talk to you about fear, the fear factor. And we're going to look at the disciples at sea. And I'm going to read this, uh, just a few passages as it's on the screen right now. Let's read it. One of my favorite stories. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Now, he had told them to get into the boat. We're going to the other side. And suddenly, look what happened. A great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, and he was asleep. Now, how many many of you ever felt like Jesus was asleep in your storm? Where are you, God? Well, he was asleep, and the disciples came to him and awoke him, panicked, fear factor, in full mode, panic time. They said, Lord, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he stood up and yawned, kind of like this, and said to them, read it with me. What was the question? Why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. Turn to your neighbor and ask him that. Why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. Now turn to the other side and say, don't sweat it. All right, now. Then what did Jesus do? I love this. He arose. Boy, when when Jesus stands up in your boat, it's going to be all right. He arose. And he rebuked the wind and the sea. And look what happened. There was a great calm. He talked to nature, and it obeyed him. Well, the man, gee, believe it or not, golly whiz, they marveled. And what did they ask? Say it with me. Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Amen. That's a great question. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray for those who are in the grip of fear, the fear factor. And I pray that, Lord, they will be delivered today. And you will strengthen our faith to have confidence even in the middle of a storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor one more time so you better perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. Now, I... uh, got to make a confession to you. I, I, I don't watch much TV, and I've never watched The Fear Factor. I have seen a few excerpts, but I watched a few minutes of it, kind of said that's not for me, but I got the gist. And here's the gist. The Fear Factor, they would give two teams challenges. Some of them were mental challenges, some physical challenges, but there's always a scary factor to them, a little bit frightening what they were being asked to do, or gross or something like that. And when it got right down to the end of the show... You were given the scariest challenge of all. And if you won, not only did you get $50,000, I believe, which would knock the fear out of some of you, but the host would come up to you, and here's what he would say. He would say, evidently, fear is not a factor for you. And that was the way it ended. Evidently, fear is not a factor for you. Now, I want to tell you that for every person in this sanctuary today, here's what God wants to be able to say over us. Evidently, fear is not a factor for you because God has not given us a spirit of fear that we would be locked into and bound up in fear, but he has given us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. The Holy Ghost never panics. And so we need to learn how to yield to Him in the time of storm. But I hope that when we finish today, it will begin to be said of you and of me by those who watch us go through difficult times, even stormy times. Evidently, fear is not a factor for you. Can you say with me, fear is not a factor for me? Can you preach it to me one more time? Fear is not a factor for me because you're a child of God. Now, I love this story. It all begins with Jesus commanding the disciples to get into the boat because they're going to cross to the other side. They were getting into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And he said, let's cross over to the other side. So they had a divine mandate to go from A to B, a divine mandate to go from here to there. I've learned a long time ago that when you're walking with the Lord Jesus, He's regularly saying, let's get into the boat of faith and let's cross over to the other side. I'm going to take you from here to there. You never arrive where he never says to you or ever says to you, that's it. We're not ever going to move on from here. You've, You've arrived. No. He's always saying, let's cross over to the other side. So they get in the boat to cross the sea. Now this Sea of Galilee was eight miles wide and about 12 miles long from north to south. Think about that distance. 12 miles shore to shore. So this was a major journey they were taking, not in a motorboat. They didn't have them. It was was either a rowboat or a sailboat. They didn't have any propulsion, but what they put into it or the wind blew them. I think they were rowing. Now, the Sea of Galilee can go as deep as 200 feet. So this is a major sea, 12 miles, shore to shore, 200 feet deep if you happen to fall in. Now we know from Scripture's account that a tragic scene awaited them on the other side. When Jesus said, let's cross over the other side, they didn't know what the other side held, but Jesus did. Because on the other side, they were going to land in a place called Gadara, a town called Gadara. And in Gadara, there was a man. And this man was tragically demon-possessed, enormously demon-possessed, frighteningly demon-possessed. Jesus knew that. They didn't know it. Jesus, being God, knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end of a thing before the beginning of it begins. So he knew what they were going to encounter, but they were going in blind faith. Okay, we'll just go with you to the other side. Jesus knew what they were going to encounter, This was really a mission trip, not a pleasure cruise. It was a mission trip to set a man free. And it says to me that Jesus will cross land and sea. He will move heaven and earth to reach one bound person. Can I tell you today that God knows all about you and he knows all about me. He knows what has got Some of you bound up because he knew this man was bound up. And if he didn't set him free, he would never be free. He would die the tragedy that he was before Jesus got there. And it wasn't just a mission trip to set a man free, but a whole town because this whole town had been locked into the fear factor because of this man. The Bible records that he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but they couldn't hold him. It says in the Bible, he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. He was supernaturally strong because of the presence of Satan on his life. There was a supernatural quality to this man. He was Herculean in his strength, but the Herculean strength did not come from God. It came from the devil. And they would chain him up because he was a lunatic. And yet he just snapped those chains. And and I know people, the Bible doesn't tell me this, but I know people, and I know that if you got a guy in your neighborhood, that is that cannot be bound and snaps chains. And the Bible goes on to describe him that always, night and day, in the mountains and in the tombs, he was crying out 24-7, crying out he could not sleep, crying out because of the torment of his life. Crying out in the, in the mountains and in the tombs, cutting himself with stones. He was self-destructive. He's a poster child for what Satan does when he gets a hold of a life. He was fascinated with death. Can you imagine? He, he hung out among tombs, gravitated to death, destroying himself, cutting himself, crying out, breaking chains. You can't tell me that town was not locked in the fear factor. They locked their doors at night. They had the dogs out front. They were big on pit bulls. because this man was frightening. What a tragic scene. Homeless, helpless, and tormented. So tragic was his condition that Jesus, who knows everything, decided to make a special trip with his 12 men across the sea just to set him free. I want to tell you today that Jesus will do anything to get to you. Jesus will go anywhere to find you. Jesus will be inconvenienced as much as need be to get to you just to set you free. And folks, let me tell you, there are people just like this man in our culture today who need to be set free, and the Lord is wanting to get to them. The Lord cares about them, knows about them, and he knows about you and about me today. There's not a thing hidden before the eyes of the Lord. He knows what has addicted us. He knows what is binding us. He knows what is haunting us. He knows what is gripping us. He knows the content of our soul. So he got into the boat, and the journey to the other side began. Now, the beginning of their journey was picturesque. It was beautiful. Life was good when they set out. Remember now, they didn't know where they were going they didn't know what they were going to encounter. The sun was shining. The sky was blue. The wind was at their back. Smooth sailing. The sun glistened off the glassy sea like thousands of sparkling diamonds. Seagulls flew through a beautiful, pristine sky. And you know what? They were excited about their future as they launched off in the boat, because Jesus had already looked them in the eye and said, I being Messiah, I've called you. I know what you are destined to do, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the, these guys were cranked and pumped about their life because of what the Lord had spoken over them. Now they had a real reason to live. It was bigger than fishing, bigger than bringing home enough fish to eat for the evening and then going back out the next morning. No, God had laid his hands on them, and they were excited. So here they go, sailing across the Sea of Galilee. But a pleasure cruise suddenly turned into a frightening cruise. A great windstorm arose, the Bible says. The Greek language says literally a fierce gale of violent wind, violent wind, hurricane like wind. We're watching a hurricane strike Florida right now. we Some of you have been in a hurricane. You've seen them. This was a gale, a fierce, violent, ferocious wind that came out of nowhere. We know from the Sea of Galilee's location that it is subject to sudden storms like this. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. Storms like these would develop when an east wind dropped cool air over the warm air rising off the sea, and this sudden change would produce a surprisingly furious, frightening storm. And that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, everything in a moment changed. It grew bad so fast. It says in the Bible, the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. It began to tilt back and forth. The wind blowing it, it felt like it was going to capsize. And the water filling it felt like they were about to sink. The fear factor gripped the disciples' hearts like a vice. Security gave way to panic. Jesus is asleep. His head's on a pillow. Now, I personally believe he had one eye open. He was testing them. He's just watching to see what they do. But the Bible says he was asleep. And they had this frightening feeling of losing control. All control. No more control. I told last night's service and the early service today, that that's why I don't like to fly, because I don't like not being in control. I want to get in the cockpit with that pilot. I want to ask him, did you have a fight with your wife or anything before you got on this jet? I want to ask him, did you get a good night's sleep? Because I don't like not being in control. That's why I don't like flying. I have to plead the blood, pray pray myself up, get into the Word, and close my eyes, and I'm what they call a white-knuckle flyer. I do not enjoy it because I'm not in control. Anybody understand? Anybody here with me? Amen. Y'all are normal. But all of a sudden, these guys who were masters of the sea, they had lived their whole lives out fishing, and the sea was their life, and they knew what this meant. This was a huge gale, a storm, and this great storm that struck from nowhere threatened their journey, their boat, their livelihood, and now they're afraid for their life. And there's Jesus, oblivious seemingly to the whole thing, asleep in their storm. Now, before we go further, I want to point out a couple of things here. This storm and this journey across the sea is a picture of life. And the first thing that we need to realize about life is that storms happen when you least expect it. They do not send you a telegram, special delivery, I will be there in a week. Storms come suddenly and they crush us. Just like the waves were beating down on those disciples, the circumstances of life, like great waves, begin to beat upon us and crush us. We wake up one day and the sky is blue, the sun is shining, all is well, and we go to work and we sit down and on our desk is a pink slip. Thanks. It's been real. Oh, and by the way, the 401k is gone as well. And you're out at sea and suddenly there's a storm. Or you go to the doctor for just a normal physical and he comes in and says, sit down, I need to tell you something. Or you wake up one day and the bed's empty and your spouse has walked out and you didn't see it coming and you've been left alone and you haven't been alone in years and you don't know what you're going to do with your life and you can't believe it because you didn't know anything was that wrong. And how could they have done this? And suddenly the wind is howling and the waves are beating on the boat of your life. Or here's one. Your child drifts into a heartbreaking rebellion against God and against everything you ever taught them. And you begin to wonder, how in the world did this happen? And what did I do wrong? And what could I have done differently? And the storm beats on your life. And and it seems like Jesus is far away. And it seems like God is way out there. and, and, And how did you let this happen, God? And I didn't see this coming. And suddenly you're in a storm. Jesus described it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he who hears these sayings of mine and does them. For when the rain falls and the wind blows and the floods beat on your house, if you are grounded in my word, you will not fall. Jesus knew there would be storms. He didn't say if. He said when the rain falls and the wind blows and the floods beat on the house, when your boat is being tossed to and fro, the boat of your life. They were in the boat in the middle of the sea. Now listen, this storm the disciples experienced, catch this now, struck with Jesus in the boat and when they were in the center of God's will for their life. They were only in the middle of the sea because Jesus told them to get into the boat and he led them there. But wait a minute, I thought if he led me somewhere, I'd be storm free. Well, I'm here today to wake you up. On their way to deliver a man in a town from their own fear factor, from their fear factor, they ran into their own fear factor. When this storm struck, they strike in the worst of times. They strike in the best of times. They strike suddenly without warning, even when we're in the center of God's will and Jesus is in our boat. So I want to tell you something today, that we need to be very careful how we interpret our storms. Because the natural tendency is to say, well, I must have done something wrong. or I wouldn't be in this storm. This is because I've done something wrong. My life is not right. If you're really blessed, you'll get some Job's counselors that'll come walking in. Job had three supposedly best friends and they came walking in and they became worse than the boils on his body because they took chapter after chapter telling Job, if you hadn't done evil, if you didn't have secret sin, if you hadn't gotten out of God's will, if you hadn't done this and that or the other, then this would not have happened to you. What have you done wrong, Job? You need to repent. But Job was under spiritual warfare, and Job was being tested by God, and his friends told him wrong. I want to tell you, don't misinterpret your storm, because guess what? You can create your own storm if you want to. It's not hard to do. Just go out and sow the flesh. Just go out and get out of the will of God. Just get out there and walk away from Jesus and, and, and live like the world, and, and you got a storm coming. Payday will come someday, I assure you. But listen, sometimes storms strike because we're doing something right. Sometimes they strike because we are walking with God and we are seeking His face and we are going on with Him and we are growing in grace and He has laid His hand on us and we do have an anointing and we are influencing others for Jesus Christ. And so we experience a storm. Those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer the storm of persecution Some of us that are walking with God have got a great big target painted on our chest because we are valuable to the kingdom of God. Storms come, and sometimes... God allows storms to come to teach us what we're going to need to know because, listen, these disciples needed to learn something that I'm about to show you they learned. They needed to learn something before they got to the other side because the storm they were in in the middle of the sea couldn't compare with the storm they encountered when they reached Gadara and a terribly, violently, frighteningly, demon-possessed man came charging right towards them. God knows what your arrivals are going to hold, so he prepares you between A and B for your arrival. Be careful how you interpret your storms. Peter encouraged us in this. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, he, had, he was talking to a church that was going through some fiery ordeals. And they thought, well, wait a minute. I'm saved. Jesus is in my boat. I'm in the middle of the will of God. What is all of this? This is strange. Peter said it's not strange at all. But watch what he said. I want you to rejoice. Can everybody say with me rejoice? He didn't say rejoice when you get to the other side. He didn't say rejoice when things change. He didn't say rejoice when the clouds pass. He said right in the middle of the fiery ordeal, when the waves are beating into the boat and you feel like you're about to sink, that's when I want you to get your hands up in the air, and that's when I want you to rejoice. So can we say it again, church? Rejoice. Now say with me, rejoice is a choice. I make a choice to rejoice. Rejoicing will not come and put you in a headlock when you're in the middle of a storm. When you're in the middle of a storm, well, you don't want to rejoice. You want to complain. You want to murmur. You want to panic. You want to cry out. You want to say, where is God? But Peter said, rejoice. And here's why. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, watch this. It's a choice to rejoice But once you get through to the other side, the overjoying is something that happens to you. You're not having to choose to do it. It's welling up within you. Why? Because His glory has been revealed on the other side of your storm. The end of a storm in the life of the child of God is always His glory is revealed. God is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are the called according to his purpose. The Bible says that God makes even our enemies to praise him, makes even negative circumstances submit to him. See, when you get to the other side, God's glory in some way, shape, or form is always revealed, particularly if we go through the trial with our faith intact. So rejoice. In the end, his glory will be revealed. But the next thing I see in this story is the disciples error? they made a mistake, in believing the storm's report more than the Lord's report. Now, here's where I really want to home in and bring something home to us today. They yielded the fear factor rather than the faith factor. When this storm took place, if you read before the storm in your Bible, go back and what they had experienced a few chapters before the storm, they had already listened to the Sermon on the Mount, the beautiful, glorious, incredible Sermon on the Mount. They had heard the whole thing. And in that Sermon on the Mount, they had heard Jesus say, don't worry about anything. I don't want you to worry because I'm going to take care of you. Your heavenly Father has got it all under control. I want you to know God's got it. It's okay. You don't ever need to worry. You don't need to worry about it. Don't worry. Be happy. They forgot all about that. They had already seen Jesus heal leprosy. They'd already seen him deliver a paralyzed man. They'd already seen him literally raise a man from the dead and pull him out of his coffin and give him back to his mother. They had seen all that, but it all went out the window when the storm hit their boat. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Their ears were filled with the howl of the wind. Their eyes were gripped by the rolling waves. They felt the water rising over their feet and over their legs, and they panicked. And you know what they did? They began to fellowship with their storm. Now, church, hear me. When we're in a storm, there's two voices vying for our attention. The voice of the storm and the voice of the lord and oh our god is so good to get into the middle of the storm with us and talk to us if we will listen to him but that storm you need to know has a voice and that storm has a message and if you're not careful you'll begin to fellowship with that storm and listen to that storm and agree with that storm rather than listening to the voice of the lord the storm was saying to them you're going to die this is it you have reached the end this is the end for you. You thought you had a big life ahead of you. Ha ha ha. He's asleep in the boat. He's not even involved with you. Where is he now? You're going down. This is it. You're going into the sea and you're not coming out on the other side. You're going to be swallowed up by this ocean. It's over for you, dude. You ever had a storm talk to you? Every storm brings a message and the message is fear and it's doubt and it's hopelessness and it's despair and it wants you to fellowship with it so that when he says, this is the end for you, the storm says, you say, you know, I think you're right. I really feel like all the circumstances are pointing to this being the end for me. I agree with you, Mr. Storm. Let's take a walk together and you can keep on talking to me and I'll keep on talking to you and let's fellowship because I agree with you, Mr. Storm, But the word of God also speaks right in the middle of your storm. We've got to be a people who know how to go into the prayer closet, shut the door, take the phone off the hook, close the People magazine, get in there with the word of God and say, Lord, I'm in the middle of a storm, but what do you say? Because it's never over until God has had his say. Never. When my son was about two years old, uh, I was working at Texas Instruments. I had just graduated from college. I knew I was called to preach, and I was waiting for God to put it all together for me and begin to open some doors. But in the meantime, I was at TI, and I was working at TI. I got home from work one day, and I walked in, and Kathy said, "Come in here quickly." She took me into the bedroom, and there was my little two-year-old son, Jeremy. He was roasting, burning up with fever. He was in convulsions. He couldn't talk to me. He was out of it. I touched him, and I couldn't believe how hot he was. I said, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to take him to emergency. So we loaded him up, took him to emergency, took him into the emergency doctor. He lifted up his shirt, and he saw that on his stomach there were all kinds of these little red dots. And the doctor did a couple of quick tests, and he said, I don't want to scare you. And I want to say to him, wait a minute. When a doctor says, I don't want to scare you, you've already scared me. How many of you ever had a doctor say to you, I don't want to scare you? When a doctor says, I don't want to scare you, sit down. He said, I don't want to scare you, but this looks like meningococcemia. He said, Mr. Wickwire, this could be fatal. When I went home, the sky was blue. Suddenly there was a storm. The love of my life, my little boy, who I cherished, was laying there, unable to recognize me, convulsing, burning with fever. And I was told it might be fatal, but it was evening by now. And he said, you're going to have to get out of the room because we're going to have to give him a spinal tap. And I listened to him screaming as they gave him a spinal tap. A little two-year-old ran that needle into his spine. And I remember I can't take it. I can't take listening to him being in pain, and I can't even be in there. But the next day, I had to get up and go to work before we had any results. And I went to work, and I'll never forget it. T.I., there was these giant hallways. I was oblivious to all the people. I was just walking up and down those hallways saying, Jesus, help me. I'm in a storm. The waves, the storm was talking to me. You're going to lose him. The storm was speaking to me. This is it. You're going to lose your boy. This is it. There's nothing you can do. The doctors were right. That's exactly what it is. You're about to get a call. Some of you know what that's like. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? And suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as a bell and said, he's going to be all right. And peace washed over my soul. And I learned something right then and there, that in a storm, there's two voices talking to you, the voice of the storm, the message of the storm, the threats of the storm or the voice of the Lord. Can I tell you in any storm you're in, God's got a word for you. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And you have no need that any man teach you. But the same anointing which you have received, who abides in you, will teach you all things and bring to your mind all things that the Lord has spoken to us. We have a great spirit. He's called the Spirit of truth. Jesus said he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me. And he will tell you things to come. We have a supernatural person living inside of us who understands the storm, who knows the storm, and has an answer of peace in the middle of your storm. And I said, Lord, I receive that word, and I'm not going to fellowship with the storm anymore. I receive it. Before I left that day, Kathy called and said, Thank God, we just got a call from the doctor. It's not what they thought it was, and his fever is already broken. But I already knew. I knew because I've got somebody in my boat. I've got a Lord in my boat, a Savior in my boat, a Messiah in my boat. I was thinking of Paul the Apostle. He was in a shipwreck of his own. He was in a storm at sea himself. And Paul's out there, and he told them, don't go a certain way and don't sail a certain way, or you're going to experience great trouble. And they did not listen to the man of God. They went anyway, and a storm struck their ship, and it was full of men that were lost, and that storm tossed them and broke the ship up. And the Bible says that the men had lost all hope. It says, and when they had lost all hope, not some hope, not a little hope, when they had lost all their hope and were convinced of the message of the storm, you're going to die. Where was Paul? The man of God was down in the middle of the ship. And he was fellowshipping not with the storm, but he was fellowshipping with the Savior. And he said, Jesus, I give this to you. And it says, Paul came out from the bottom of the ship and spoke to all of these men who had believed the message of the storm. And he said, an angel of God stood with me tonight. And he told me, you're gonna lose the ship, but you're not gonna lose one person with you because I've called you to speak to Caesar. And because you're a man of destiny, I'm gonna give you everybody sailing with you and the ship hit rocks, and it broke in pieces. They all grabbed hold of something and floated to shore, but not one man was lost. So you had two kinds of people on that boat, those fellowshipping with the storm and those fellowshipping with the Savior. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be the one in the storm fellowshipping with the Savior, receiving the Word of God, not the message of the storm. <laughs> Come on, everybody. I want to be able to say to desperate people, You may feel like you're going down for the count, but I know a Savior who can pick you up and dust you off and deliver you of demonic influence and set your feet on solid ground and he can put a new song in your mouth, even praise unto our God. Many are going to see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. It's not over. I love the word of God. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence or disease that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So storms come suddenly. Be careful how you interpret your storm and don't come under condemnation for it. And know that God has a word for you, a word for you in your storm. There's something he wants to say to you. I know that because of what I'm about to show you in the word, and I see all through the scripture. Because what we find out is the storm's report to the disciples was not true. Lord, we're going to drown. That wasn't true. See, it's not the storms of life that matter the most. It's who's in your boat with you when the storm's hit. We're in a culture right now who has said to God, don't need you, don't want you, get out. But a storm is coming. And let me tell you who's going to float and not sink. Those who have said, Jesus, I do want you. Jesus, I do receive you. Jesus, I do believe in you and embrace you, and I do not want you out, but I want you in. I don't want to reject you. I want to receive you. I don't want to go my own way. I want to walk with you in your way. Those of us that that have Jesus in the boat, the one thing they did right is they ran to him and said, Jesus, we're going to drown, and they turned to the Lord, and Jesus stood up. Let me tell you, when Jesus stands up, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. When Jesus stands up, when Jesus stands up in your boat, that storm is doomed. I love this. It says, Jesus woke up, stood up, and rebuked the wind. Now, the Greek says, he turned to the wind and said, stop. And to the waves, rolling, huge waves crashing. The, he looked at them, stop. Stop talk to the storm, stop. And the Bible says, suddenly, the storm stopped and all was calm. Can you imagine that moment? What a blockbuster moment. Stop, stop, stop. How do you think they were looking at him? Now, the blockbuster in the story is not the storm. Though it was a blockbuster storm, the blockbuster is not the miracle. Though it was a great miracle, the blockbuster is the question they asked. Because it's the single most important question you and I will ever ask. Who is this man? John turned to Peter. Who is this man? We like the way he taught. Wow, he did some cool miracles. But he just talked to nature, and it obeyed. He was about to get to the other side, and they were about to see that not only could he talk to nature, he could talk to demons, and they obeyed. Who is this man? That's the question of the ages. What you do with that question is going to decide your eternal fate. What would you do with this man? Who was this man? Who is this man? Great teacher, one of many world religious leaders. Who is this man? This man is not like any other man who ever lived or ever will. Only God can talk to nature and make nature obey. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was very theos, God. You know what they were realizing? They were realizing who they had really hooked up with. You got to know that. Jesus, the teacher, turned it into a classroom session. He said, you've asked the best question you could ask. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, I am God, wrapped in skin. That's why the wind obeys me, the waves obey me the storm obeys me. The demons are about to obey me because I'm God. He was prepping them for their next level. Because do you think when this man came running out of the tombs, racing towards them naked, that he can't be bound in chains, screaming, tormented, lunatic face, you think that if they hadn't seen this miracle, they would have been ready for that? But when they saw Jesus tell wind and waves to stop and they saw the lunatic coming, they said, he's got it. (laughs) He's got it. He's got it. Well, how do you know that? Because the waves obey him. The wind obeys him. He's God. So they were ready. Robert Louis Stevenson tells the story of a ship tossed in a vicious storm. True story. The sea was rough and the rocky coast was perilous. Danger was real and dread fear gripped the sailors. One frantic young sailor who was laboring below the water line could contain himself no longer. He ran up, ran into the control room, closed the door behind him and stood in frozen fright watching the captain wrestle with the controls of the huge ship. Skill of mind and strength of hand enabled the captain to guide the vessel threw the threatening rocks into open water. The captain turned slightly, looked at the frightened sailor, and smiled. The young man returned below deck and assured the crew all danger was over. They said, how do you know all danger is over? He said, I've seen the face of the captain. And he smiled at me. You know what God's doing right now? All you need to see in your storm is the face of the captain. The captain of our salvation. He's smiling in the middle of our storm. You know what he's saying? I've got it. I've got it. Can we stand up today? I have seen the face of the captain. And he smiled at me. With every head bowed for just a moment, as little movement as possible, unless it's up this way in just just a little bit. Some of you don't have Jesus in the boat. Or you used to, but you've, you've walked away. Can I just tell you today, reason with you just for a second. If there's ever a day you need Jesus in the boat, It's this day, right now. Because the day is going to come. You're going to need a word in the storm. And you want him right there in your boat, standing up and addressing your storm, giving you a word. How precious it is to receive just one word from God in the midst of the storm. So if you've walked away from the Lord, kind of drifted from Him, I want to invite you to come home today. Don't leave this building until you've made it right with Him. If He's never been in the boat of your life, you can do it right now, do it today, this moment, just say, Lord, forgive me and come into my life. Jesus will get into the boat of your life. And you will never be the same. Now, how many of you here today with your heads bowed can say, Pastor, I'm in a storm. Raise your hand. There's a storm. Raise your hand. There's a storm. Many of you. I want to do what I've done in both services. I want to ask you to come down. And anybody who needs to get right with the Lord Jesus, I'm asking you, let me pray with you. I want you to come down. If you're in a storm, come now. Come right now, because we're going to ask the the storm stiller, the one who stills the storms, to give us a word, a word right now, a word in season. If you've drifted from the Lord, if you've never known the Lord, come now, just slip right out and come. Come down and just walk down here and say, I'm going to get right today. I'm going to do it today. And I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're not in a storm, you'll experience one someday. So I want you to pray this with these that are here. Amen. Father, we just thank you that you're the Lord of the storm. That is, you're walking on the very thing that threatens us. You're walking on it. We ask you, Lord Jesus, right now to take the storm. I want those of you that are down here to pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you the storm. I ask you, Lord, to take charge of it. I will not fellowship with that storm. I will not agree with that storm's threats. But I receive the word of God in my storm. The anchoring word. The word of peace, I receive it. And I will fellowship with you as Paul did in the middle of the storm. Anchor my soul, Lord Jesus. Now, if you're here to get right with the Lord, let me see your hand. If you're down here, just raise it where I can see you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Let me pray this with you. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sin come into my boat the boat of my life and take the steering wheel guide the rudder in Jesus name thank you for it Lord now can we just lift our hands in church Lord just lift our hands everybody and just say Lord thank you you're the Lord of the storm and you've got it Now, give the Lord a hand of praise. Can you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Now, some of you need further ministry. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because God's.